Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Friday, April 22nd, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181 and make sure you tell them I sent you. And uh, as I fire this show up today, I see I got two TVs in the studio here at Beantown Athletics. And, you know, I'm extremely grateful for this studio, obviously. And, uh, but here's what you need to know. I don't control what's on the TV. I can't control it from inside the studio. The remote is out there. They have the main cable box outside of my studio. And what I do is, I mean, I put on SportsCenter every day. Unless the Red Sox are on or unless there's a major golf tournament that we're paying attention to then I'll maybe toss that on on a Thursday or Friday. But for the most part, you know, I put SportsCenter on the TV. And we had SportsCenter on the TV all day. And literally, as I fire this thing up as we speak, they got me watching the fucking Senior Tour. Uh, the PGA Senior Tour. I, what is going on? Why, why am I watching this? Like, what is happening right now? And I, I'm not going to stop the show because we just fight it up. I mean, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep it going. And I can't get anyone's attention yelling, waving, knocking on the glass. They're in the back hot at work, as they usually are, which is a good thing for them. They shouldn't be back there paying attention to what I'm saying all day. They'd get no work done. But why are we watching the fucking senior tour right now? Like, why am I watching a, a golf tournament? With, with the seniors. I, why are we doing this? What is going on here? We're going to have to figure that out. Because I like to have SportsCenter on in front of me in case some breaking news happens. And you, use, you, know, you get that sometimes. And even some highlights. Sometimes you know, I'll be on a little rant and, and I'll watch something and, and you know, a play will pop up that I forgot about and it's right there in front of me. That's why, that's why we got TVs in the place. For this purpose. And I don't know who switched it. I don't know if they're playing a joke on me. But we have the, the senior tour going on right now in the world of golf on, t- on the TV screen in front of me. So, all right. I, I'm going to have to live with it and move on. We'll move on. Uh, tonight, all eyes here in Boston will be on the Celtics in their game three at the Garden against the Atlanta Hawks. First round playoff series, best of seven series. The Hawks lead the series two games to none. The last couple days, I've gone on some Celtics rants. I had Kyle Draper from Comcast Sportsnet New England on the show yesterday. He joined me over the phone. We previewed this game three. I was on WEI last night, gave an even, uh, even more of a preview to this game. So we're ready for it. You get two nights off. It's, it's too much time. And this should only be one night off in between every game. But we now, for two straight games, have had two nights off in between games. It's it's frustrating because you get more and more anxious. But with this game at the TD Garden tonight, uh, even more so. So we're all jacked up here in Boston. I'm all jacked up. I'll be watching this game tonight. I'm sure I'll be tweeting some things out while it's going on. And I'll be on just a little programming note over the weekend. Uh, my weekend radio show tomorrow on WEI. I believe tomorrow night after the Red Sox game, I think 7 and 9 maybe. Uh, and then Sunday, 
in the afternoon as I believe the Red Sox will have Sunday night baseball against the Houston Astros. The Red Sox are in Houston for a weekend series. They lost yesterday to the Rays. They blew a 5-1 to one lead with David Price on the mound. I'm going to get into that a little bit on this show, but let's begin with playoffs. And we got a lot of playoff basketball. We got a lot of playoff hockey going on. And uh, last night was an interesting night. You put the Celtics aside for a minute because we can only preview that game for so long. Like it, We're to the point now, just get me to the game. Get me to tip off tonight with the Celtics and the Hawks at 8 o'clock. Get me to tip off. Game's going to be on ESPN2, though I believe all first-round games are also on Comcast Sportsnet New England. And, and, you know, Comcast is my channel. I do some TV with them. I used to work for their website for a couple of years as a reporter. But when you get to the playoffs, not that I hate the broadcast, because I, I love the Celtics broadcast, Mike Gorman, Tommy Heinsohn, I love it. But when you get to the playoffs, I do feel the need to watch the nationally televised version, only because that lets me know it's real. Right? That, that lets me know this is a big game when it's nationally televised. So I'll, I'll be watching on ESPN, too, to be completely honest. The game on ESPN at 7 o'clock tonight is Cleveland and Detroit. Their game three is Cleveland leads that series two games to none. And then you get on ESPN at 9.30, San Antonio against Memphis. This series going to Memphis now as the Spurs have a two games to none series lead there. But with the Celtics, their game three here at the Garden, I love the Comcast broadcast, but when you get to the playoffs, you know, it's a huge game, and anytime you're on national TV, it lets me know it's a it's an even bigger game. So I probably will watch this on ESPN too, unless it's blacked out. I don't I don't know that it will be because I did watch TNT. I watched the last game on TNT. So I, I, I assume that we'll be able to watch it on ESPN, too. Either way, I'll be watching, and I'll react to it on WEEI tomorrow. And I'm also on WEEI on Sunday. So there's a little programming schedule for the weekend. I was on WEEI last night till midnight. And, uh, you know, I did some Red Sox to open up. We got to some Celtics. But as the night went on, and, you know, I get home, that was there was some great late-night drama last night because you had... The Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets in their game three in Houston, you had the final minutes of that game, and it was a close game. And at the same time, over on NBC Sports Network, you had overtime between the Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues. And if you've been paying attention to that series, well, you know that the Blackhawks were on the ropes last night. That, that was game five in St. Louis. The Blues had a three games to one lead. They had a chance to close that series out. And the Blackhawks led it three to one going into the third period. The Blues come back and they tie that game at three. They force overtime and it's in St. Louis. And not just one overtime, but double overtime. They force double overtime. And then you get that goal from Patrick Kane. That is a take your team on your back type of goal. And when you consider the situation the Blackhawks were in, where it was a must win or they're going home, you know, down 3-1 in the series, you're on the road, you just blew a 3-1 lead in the third period, it's not really looking good for you, somebody needs to step up, Patrick Kane did. I mean, just a nasty move, he gets the puck in the high slot, little toe drag, you know, little pivot, cuts, gets a shot off, skates behind the net, gets his own little rebound and puts it away. That is one of the, honestly, that's one of the best goals I've ever seen, I think. when Especially when you consider 
the, the scenario and the situation that the team found themselves in, and now the Blackhawks trail that series three games to two. It goes back to Chicago for a game six. I fully expect that series to go back to St. Louis for a game seven. But while that was going on, that overtime, you had the end of the Warriors and the Rockets. Now, Steph Curry did not play for the second straight game. He did not play for the second straight game. I think that's a good decision for Golden State. They, as I've told you many times this past week, he has a little ankle injury. He suffered in game one. They took him out of that game early. There is no need to rush him back. There's no need to. There's no need to. You can beat Houston without him. And Golden State did. They won game two without Steph Curry. They took a 2-0 series lead. Series goes to Houston last night in this game. Houston had a pretty big lead for most of it until you get to the fourth quarter. Golden State without Steph Curry. They come battling back. And I was actually watching a little little bit of the fourth quarter while I was wrapping up my show on WEI. And and I was saying there, look... Golden State's going to make this a game. And they absolutely did. And they Golden State had a chance to win it last night in Houston. But James Harden hit a huge shot. Little fadeaway jumper from the free throw line. And it goes in. It put Houston up 97-96. to 96, And Golden State gets a shot. They get to inbound it. Draymond Green, he can catch the ball. And he, he goes up with one hand. And it just comes. He just drops it. And it hits his foot. And it goes out of bounds. Game over. But the funniest part of this, in Houston's 97-96 and win as they cut Golden State's series lead to two games to one, I told you the other day, when you watch Houston play, it looks like there isn't anybody on that team that they don't like each other. I've never seen anything like it. How, like, someone will hit a big shot, nobody will come over and give him a high five. Or maybe one guy will. Like, their big, you know, their big center is running around chest bumping people, and that's it. Like, James Harden hits a big shot, a huge shot, the biggest shot that that team's had all season long in the playoffs at home against Golden State. James Harden hits the fadeaway jumper. There was one person that congratulated him on the shot on the team. And if you, they show a hilarious video of the Houston Rockets bench as Dwight Howard is also on the bench because he's just an absolute clown. Right, he threw a ball off someone last night when they had a lead, a big lead. Like, come on. That, that, he is just such a selfish ass clown. It's not even funny. I, I, I can't, do I even, do you even want me to go into the, my hatred for Dwight Howard? But you saw it last night. He gets tangled up and then he throws the ball off the guy. He can't even do that right. Who is it, Iguodala? He tried to throw it off of? He tried to. He just barely hit him. He Right in front of him. He couldn't even throw the ball off the guy right. He didn't even have enough heart and passion to be able to whoop the ball right off his... You're going to throw the ball at someone? You better hit him in the face. That's the way I look at it. Hit him in the face. He, I, I think he grazed his shin with the ball. And he was right in front of him. D- D- Dwight Howard is a heartless bastard even when he gets mad and passionate. He's a clown. But he's on the bench late in this game. And when James Harden hits that shot, they show the bench. Corey Brewer clown, uh, Dwight Howard, biggest clown in professional sports, and the reaction, honestly, I, I thought the reaction in Dwight Howard's head, he was thinking to himself, damn, we gotta go back to Golden State, because that's what that win sealed the deal on last night, that's what that shot sealed the deal on, 
It basically, when James Harden hit that shot, it guarantees that the series goes back to Golden State for a game five. Because you win one at home. Even if Golden State wins the next one. It's go- because James Harden hits that shot, you're going to Golden State. It's almost as if Dwight Howard just wanted to get swept. That's the reaction he had. And that's why I hate the guy. And that's why I don't know how you could root for this Houston Rockets team. Even when they hit big shots and they win a big game, they can't even enjoy it. They don't even enjoy it because they don't enjoy playing with each other. It's awkward to watch. And now Golden State finds themselves in an interesting situation. Like Steve Kerr, Steph Curry. I told you, Houston, how I'd handle it. Houston would need to win two games in the series for me to think about putting Steph Curry back in the lineup. They'd give him rest. No need to rush it with the ankle. There's no need. But I have a feeling they're not going to risk it and that we'll see Steph Curry in game four in Houston. I have a feeling we're going to see Steph in game four. Right? That game is going to be on Sunday, I believe. That's going to be a Sunday game. So they're going to have today off and tomorrow off. Golden State Houston will play Sunday afternoon at 3.30 in Houston. That's on ABC. I expect Steph Curry to play in that. I don't think I would put him in. I think Houston would have to win two for me to do that. But I do feel like Golden State's probably not going to handle it the way I would handle it. And I think we'll probably see Steph Curry uh, in that game four on Sunday. And that could factor in to my picks. Because before I close out today's show, I'm going to give you an NBA playoff edition of Picks Picks. Five games with the spread. And I'll close out the show and the week with that. But last night, that was there was some late-night drama. And you saw the Blackhawks win it in double overtime with that filthy goal from Patrick Kane. And you also saw the Houston Rockets, James Harden with the big shot. And then Draymond Green, ball going off him, going out of bounds. And the Rockets get a win, even though it seemed like nobody on the Rockets wanted to actually win that game. It seemed like they actually wanted to get swept. So they didn't have to go back to Golden State. But now they'll have to go back to Golden State. And it's funny because I I think they all know how this series is ultimately going to end. Steph Curry returns at some point, hits a couple big shots, and Golden State moves on. And Houston's season is done. And it's over, right? But still, you got to be excited. You hit a big shot. It's It's awkward to watch this Houston Rockets team. Uh, There were three games total in the NBA playoffs last night. Oklahoma City, they whooped the Dallas Mavericks in their game three, 131 to 102. That game was in Dallas. Uh, Oklahoma City now leads that series two games to one. There's the issue of Russell Westbrook dancing before games on the sideline with one of his teammates. They do these crazy dances, the what, the hit them boys dance? Is that what that is? Uh, I think it's funny. I honestly think it's funny. You know that I love a good celebration. Now, there's a time and there's a place. At the same time, there's a time and a place for everything, okay? Like when it comes to bat flips or when it comes to giving a nasty pump after a goal in hockey, anything. You want to pound your chest after hitting a big shot in the NBA uh, or football? You want to give a little touchdown celebration? Time and a place for everything. You know, in big moments. Now, a pregame celebration, I feel like, is a little different because professional athletes are funny. They're funny in a way where they're superstitious creatures. They are. I mean, they're creatures of habit. It's called routine. 
And sometimes you do things, and you might end up having a great game after you do something pregame, and you feel the need to continue it. And what Russell Westbrook and one of his teammates, what they do before games is they stand on the sideline in front of the scorer's table, and they don't do it in front of the other team's bench. They do it in front of the scorer's table. I actually think they do it closer to their own bench than anything, than, than even close to midcourt. They do it closer to their own bench, I believe. But they do this little dance. Does it go on for a little too long? Well, you could make the argument that it does. Does it affect the other team? It shouldn't. Uh, is it funny? I think so. It's entertaining. But also, I think, well, they, they do it because it's also turned into a superstition. I have no problem with it. But two games ago, in game two, and by the way, game two wasn't in Dallas. It was in Oklahoma City. Charlie Villanueva's walking by them and decides to, like, walk through it and shoulder bump him, and Westbrook just pushes the other guy. And Dallas is complaining about the dancing. I don't have a problem with it. Honestly, I don't. I don't have a problem with it. How's it bothering them? How's it bothering Dallas? And it, also, who the hell is Charlie Villanueva? Like, who are you? Like, who made Ch- who died and made Charlie Villanueva the NBA's sheriff where he can walk around pushing people for pregame celebrations and pregame rituals and routines and superstitions? Like, who died and made... Oh, this is an honest question. Like, when did Villanueva become the NBA's pregame sheriff? When it comes to celebrations, I don't recall anybody giving him that title or him even earning that title in any way, shape, or form. So Villanueva should probably just mind his own business and focus on maybe more so on the on the court aspect of trying to stop Oklahoma City from scoring 131 points in your own building. Because last night, that's what Oklahoma City did. They scored a buck 31 in Dallas, and the the Thunder take a two games to one series lead, I have no problem with the dancing. You know, if Westbrook was doing it in front of the, you know, literally on the Mavericks bench, or if he was out at center court on the Mavericks logo, you know, you see teams take that personally, that's different. He's doing it in front of the scorer's table. It's obviously a pregame routine. They do the same thing before every game. I don't think it's meant to harm the other team. I don't think the other team should even recognize it. It should be a non-issue. It's entertainment. I'm fine with it. But Charlie Villanueva, the Dallas Mavericks, they don't like it. Well, here's what the Mavericks should be more focused on. Stopping the Thunder's offense. And right now it looks like they can't do it. So, uh, it looks like Westbrook will just keep dancing. And he did. He, he danced before the game again last night. But I don't mind it. I actually like it. And the other game, Toronto goes into Indy. And Toronto beats the Pacers 101-85. The Raptors now have to lose in game one at home to the Pacers. The Raptors win two straight. They take a 2-1 to series lead here. And that's what we had last night in the NBA tonight. Three games. I mentioned the Celtics and the Hawks at 8 o'clock at the TD Garden. Atlanta leads the series two games to none. It's a must win for the Celtics. You got Cleveland. They go to Detroit. The Cavaliers lead that series two games to none. Tip off 7 o'clock. Uh, that's on ESPN. What's funny about this series is you have this, this drama. I guess. Is it even drama? They're building it up to be. But I don't know that it's... It, it, there's, I don't think there's as much drama as maybe they're trying to let us know. Stanley Johnson, you remember him from Arizona. When he was in college, he reminded me his defense, like he was somebody that was known with his length and his reach. 
Uh, you know, he's got these long arms, and he likes to play D. He reminded me of Ron Artest a little bit. I know that that's high praise, because Ron Artest in his prime was a great defender in the NBA. And, and of course, you know, Stanley Johnson's still young in his career. Let's see what he can do at the NBA level. But when we do throw out these crazy comparisons, when we watch kids in college who are going to be top 10 picks, you watch Stanley Johnson at Arizona, and I told you then that I, he reminded me of of a Ron Artest and the way he plays defense. Well, Stanley Johnson plays for the Detroit Pistons now, and he was the primary defender covering LeBron James in game two. And they're trying to say, well, Stanley Johnson, he slowed LeBron down, you know. Well, LeBron still finished with, what, 27 points? What, he had 22 in game one, and then he had 27 in game two? So how much did you slow him down? The Cavaliers are up two games to none. Stanley Johnson now is running his mouth. It's one thing to come out, and if you play solid defense on him, you play solid defense on him, and that's that, and you let your, you let your defensive play speak for itself, right? If you get analysts that want to come, come on TV and say that Stanley Johnson's in LeBron's head, that's one thing. But the fact that you got to read a quote today from Stanley Johnson, the words came out of his mouth. It's all over TV, all over SportsCenter. He says, I think I'm in LeBron's head. That's coming from Stanley Johnson. He should not be saying that. Stanley Johnson should probably just shut his mouth because <laughs> LeBron James tonight in Detroit is putting up 40 points, okay? He's putting up 40 points. That's what's happening tonight. LeBron is having a 40-point game tonight, and he's going to do it with Stanley Johnson covering him, right? LeBron James is going to take Stanley Johnson to school tonight. That's my prediction. And Stanley Johnson should probably, look, he's going to be a fine defender in this league, but he should probably learn to just let his defense on the court do the talking and let other people uh, try to tell the world, the sports world, that he's in LeBron's head. Because LeBron, at the end of the day, is the be- one of the best players in the world. He can take over a game, especially in the playoffs, unlike anyone else has ever been able to. Stanley Johnson's good, but he's not that good. And I think you're going to find out tonight. I did. LeBron sees this quote. He reads this quote. And uh, I'm sure he's going to respond to it. And I'm sure it's not going to be on Twitter. As much as he does stuff on social media, LeBron's going to be responding tonight in Detroit in their game three. Look for Cleveland to go up three games to none. And then, as I mentioned, at 930, the Spurs and the Grizzlies. This is... In Memphis, the Spurs have just been giving the Grizzlies an absolute beating in this series. I don't expect that to stop tonight. Spurs will go up three games to none as well. So that's what we have in the NBA playoffs. Stanley Cup playoffs, there were four games last night. I told you the Blackhawks went in double OT to force a game six back in Chicago against St. Louis. I expect that series to go seven now. Uh, and anything can happen in that one in St. Louis. You had three other games. The Tampa Bay Lightning, they close out their series by beating the Red Wings one to nothing. Uh, The Lightning win that series in five games. No surprise. Detroit backed into the playoffs, and and they lost their their last couple games. The only reason Detroit got in was because the Bruins let them in, right? That's the only reason the Detroit Red Wings ended up getting into the tournament anyways. Uh, because the Bruins just completely dropped the ball in that final regular season game against the Ottawa Senators. So no surprise that Detroit loses that series in five. And then, of course, you get the 
Anaheim Ducks, who are battling back in this series with the Nashville Predators. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks last night, they beat the Predators by a score of 4-1. to one, And that series is now tied at 2. And then Pittsburgh whooped the Rangers 5 to nothing. Pittsburgh leads that series 3 games to 1. That's... Pittsburgh looks like the Penguins are going to win that one. And heads are going to roll in New York. I'm telling you right now. Heads are going to roll. Rangers cannot lose a first-round series. They've, they've made moves the last couple of years to improve, especially at the trade deadline. They've been sort of, you know, uh, they've been, they could smell the cup the last couple of years, right? And here they are now potentially losing a first-round series. I think heads are going to roll if they lose this, and it's looking like they're going to. A Pittsburgh team that seems to be putting it all together. Pittsburgh has the star power, especially offensively, where we know how special a team they can be if they get some goaltending. And, you know, they're getting it against the Rangers team right now. And the Penguins lead that series three games to one. So that's what we have in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And also yesterday, the Red Sox, they lost to the Tampa Bay Rays. The game started as it was an afternoon game. Getaway day for the Red Sox. They go to Houston now for a weekend series. So I watched the beginning of this game as I was recording yesterday's podcast in this studio. And I see this one play out. And you're thinking you get a 5-1 to one lead early with David Price on the mound. That's it. Right? That's it. This is game over. A 5-1 to one lead is enough runs for your ace, who you're paying $30 million a year for, and that's it. David Price is going to shut it down. He was great in his last outing last weekend against Toronto, against one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, we, are, we are going to see the David Price uh, that we thought we'd see, and the Red Sox are going to win this game. They're going to go into Houston with a big win, and, and that's that. Well, that's not what happened yesterday at Fenway. In fact, the complete opposite happened. The Red Sox jumped out to a 5-1 to one lead in the first inning, and then David Price had just an awful fourth inning collapse. And David Price got pulled after just three and two-thirds, allowing eight hits, which included two home runs. He struck out five. He walked two. But a total of eight earned runs in this game for Price through 87 pitches in just three and two-thirds. And his ERA now on the season is 7.06. Even with that, even with David Price's terrible outing, the Red Sox kept fighting back, and that seems to be the identity of this Red Sox team, a relentless offensive attack. So you had a sense that even when Price got racked and they had to go to the bullpen and the Red Sox trail at 8-5 to five in the fourth, at least I was thinking, all right, we know what this Red Sox, this Red Sox offense can do. I, I'm convinced that this game is not over. It's not over. It's a three-run game at Fenway, you know, there's, it's the fourth inning. I'm not going to throw in the towel in this game. I'm going to keep watching because I know this offense is going to put them in position to at least have a shot. And that's exactly what the Red Sox did. They come back, and they end up tying the game in the seventh inning with a Travis Shaw RBI double that scored David Ortiz. And the Red Sox, you know, they're working out of their bullpen. Matt Bonds gave them two and a third shutout innings. Uh, you end up going to a kid by the name of William Cuevas. I'm not going to lie to you. 
See, the game was on while I'm doing this podcast, while I'm in the studio. I didn't have the audio going. And even last night on EEI, I had asked my producer while we were on the air just to, just to confirm. I said, is Cuevas, like, that's how you say the kid's name, right? I don't know who he is. Like, who the hell's William Cuevas? I have no clue. It's a product of the bullpen being overused, which is a product of the starting pitching being not so great to begin this season. All right. And and so first and foremost, when you lose this game yesterday, 12 to 8, you, you tie the game at 8, you let up a run in the top of the 8th that put Tampa Bay up 9-8, and then Tampa Bay in the ninth inning scored three more runs, and they sort of opened the floodgates and, and ran away with it 12-8 to and finished the game off there. But to point the blame, to begin to point the finger at, at, at someone to give the blame out, David Price is the first guy you point the finger at, right? It's, it's a no-brainer. It's not even, I mean, it's not even up for debate, and I clarified that last night. Of course, you say some things as you continue to break down the rest of the game, and you get your knuckleheads who are going to be like, well, it's, it's, I mean, if David Price won six innings, then, hey, you wouldn't even be talking about John Farrell and the bullpen mismanagement. And you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. And I have actually pointed the finger at David Price. I crushed him last night. Look, you can give me the David Price numbers in his career in the month of April and the first month of the season all you want. The Red Sox are paying him $30 million a year. Those paychecks don't, don't begin in May. They, they've already begun. He's already getting paid. They don't, start in, they don't start paying Price in May. They started paying him already. Th- those payments have begun. So that's no excuse. You better turn it around and show up in April. The one thing I will say about Price is that he has had four starts now And it's weird where he's yet to have a normal 7 o'clock first pitch. He hasn't had that. He got the opening day in Cleveland, which was, what, 4 o'clock. Then they push him back on an extra day's rest to pitch the Fenway home opener, which was a 1 o'clock game. Then he pitches a Saturday afternoon game at home against Toronto. And then he has this game in the afternoon yesterday. So, all right. I mean, still no excuses, but... If I am David Price, and it is about routine, it is about being a creature of habit, especially as a pitcher in in Major League Baseball, most of your starts in your career are at night, right? Seven o'clock starts. I mean, that's the norm. Normal time for a baseball player is sleep until 10 a.m., 11 a.m. in the morning, showing up to the ballpark, you know, around maybe two o'clock, we'll say. Just uh, some guys show up earlier. Some guys, I mean, I was in the clubhouse at Fenway, when I was covering the team, and I'd be in there at 3, 3.30, and, you know, I'd be walking in with guys. Like, I'd be, I'd be walking in the clubhouse as certain players were showing up, just parking in the parking lot and just showing up to the ballpark at 3.30. I mean, I'm not knocking them for that, but that's, that's just the normal sort of schedule for a professional ball player. And when you're a professional pitcher, especially one as good as David Price, well... I do think the normal routine is a 7 o'clock start. And at least here to begin his career with the Red Sox, he has not had a 7 o'clock first pitch yet, which is a little weird to me. You'd like to see him get one of those in sometime soon. Uh, All of that said, not making excuses because I crushed him last night 
and it needs to be better than that. You don't need me to tell you that David Price making this money, being the ace of this team, knowing what he's capable of doing, you don't need me to tell you that Price needs to be better than three and two-thirds and eight earned runs, okay? He does, especially looking at the rest of this rotation with all the question marks that we have, especially given how much you have already overused your bullpen here in the month of April, the first month of the season, just a couple weeks in. The bullpen's already been overused, right? It has because of the starting pitching. So the first finger you got to point, you know, when you're putting throwing out blame for yesterday's loss against Tampa, the first finger you point at is David Price. It's got to be better than that. No question, no excuses. I don't care if they're afternoon games or not. You got to be better. It's got to be. Can't be inconsistent as it's been. Solid start in Cleveland. Not so good against Baltimore on opening day. Very good performance against Toronto. And then just an absolute stinker yesterday. It can't be that inconsistent. He needs to, David Price needs to string together a handful of dominant starts. And it needs to start soon. It needs to start as soon as possible. It needs to start in his next start. That's what needs to happen. His next outing. Next time he gets the ball. So, but he, I mean, he, yesterday you get a 5-1 lead. You're David Price. You're making 30 mil a year. This is, this is what you're getting paid to do. You're getting paid to go out there and finish that game and, and giving the Red Sox a 5-1 win. Handing that ball off to the end of the bullpen. You get to Kimbrell to close it out. That's, that is what you're paid to do. All right? And he didn't get the job done. So, yes, he is to blame for what happened yesterday. But as that game goes on and your offense does live up to their identity, which has been a relentless attack, you tie the game at eight, all of a sudden you got to forget about that and you say we got a chance to win a game. You look at it, you go 0-0. This is a 0-0 game going into the top of the eighth inning. That's what it is. Now, you went to William Cuevas. I get it. You had to. I don't know who the hell the kid is. But he was pitching. Uh, I, I guess I can't have too much of a problem with it because John Farrell is in a tough spot. We'll say that. Because his rotation has been bad and you've had to go to the bullpen so much, John Farrell, who's a pitching guy, a former pitching coach for this team, is in a tough position because he now has to handle a bullpen that's been overused. And you got to be careful with that. And that's why Cuevas is seeing time in the eighth inning yesterday. He lets up a run to Souza Jr., an RBI double to deep left center. Jennings scores, puts Tampa Bay up 9-8. You get to the bottom of the eighth, you can't get anything out of that. You still trill 9-8. Get to the top of the ninth. You tell me. Top of the ninth inning, a one-run game against the Tampa Bay Rays. I know your bullpen's been overused, but at that point, I, I can't sit here and feel sympathy for the manager because as bad of a situation as you're in where your bullpen's been overused, You cannot stop managing the bullpen. You can't just stop managing it. You can't sit there and say, well, we've overused the bullpen, so now we got to stick with Cuevas. No, 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 no. And that's what they did. They stuck with this kid Cuevas. And it's funny because after the game, Cuevas is talking to the media. He's like, yeah, I'm not used to situations like this. I mean, so not only are you sticking with the kid who, who you shouldn't even be putting into this spot for another inning anyways, He's not even used to being in this spot. Makes it even worse. But what what makes it, you know, the worst to me is that you begin that ninth inning. You trail by one run. Kiermaier 
for the Rays, outfielder, we see what he does defensively. He's not getting taken out of this game. The Red Sox had, yes, they had guys that were shut down for the day. They were not pitching some guys in that bullpen, and I can understand it. But someone like, let's say, a lefty specialist, Robbie Ross Jr., lefty. Well, maybe you don't even want to use the word specialist. Fine. He's a lefty. That's a lefty-lefty matchup. Kim I to lead off the inning. You go to the lefty, right? Right? That's not what they did. They didn't do it. They stuck with Cuevas. Kiamaya leads off with a double. Kiamaya ends up scoring, uh, what, two batters later. And the Rays have a 10-8 lead. And you replace Cuevas with Noe Ramirez, who then later in the inning faces a pinch hitter in Dickerson, who's a left-handed bat, and you still don't go to Robbie Ross. You stick with Noe Ramirez. What happens? Dickerson, RBI double, two more runs score, game over. It's 12 day in the top of the ninth. That's it. You had two opportunities in that ninth inning to manage the bullpen, I thought, even though you, oh, look, is, is Farrell in a tough spot? Of course he is. Of course he is. And David Price, the fact that Price threw a stinker yesterday, he puts Farrell in an even tougher position. I get it. They've overused the bullpen. This is not ideal for John Farrell to have to make these decisions. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have to make decisions. He put William Cuevas out there. He put his hands in his pockets in the dugout, and he said, well, we overused the bullpen. Let's just see what we can get with this kid. No, 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 no. That is awful. That is mismanagement of the bullpen 101. You got a lefty, Robbie Ross, who did not pitch the day before. He should be in that game. Either face Kamaya to lead off the inning in a lefty or to face the pinch hitter, Lefty Dickerson. So it was just, I, I, I felt like John Farrell just gave up on this game because he said to himself, we've overused the bullpen. And we're going to have to live and die with William Cuevas and Noe Ramirez when he's got some lefty-lefty matchups he could go to. Uh, it's it, driving me crazy. And not just that. Not just that. There's a couple other things here. They warmed up Koji Uihara. Or they were starting to. And after the game, John Farrell says, we were only going to use Koji if we had a lead. Which makes no fucking sense to me. Because... Koji Uihara hasn't pitched since Marathon Monday. Now, I know that when he pitched in that game, it looked absolutely terrible. He was awful. We've gone over it. He didn't have a split. The split was doing nothing. There was no movement on the splitter. You know, it's a combination, I think, of him being a little out of routine. Koji, you know, to be on the mound at 1.30 in the afternoon, even for a 1.30 start, Koji doesn't hit the mound until 4 o'clock, right? He wouldn't be out there till 4 if he's coming out of the pen. It was an 11 a.m. start. It's, I, I think they were out of sync because of that. He's also 40 years old, and he's been used a lot. And he also doesn't have the same stuff he did two years ago. When, you know, in 2013, three years ago, when they won a World Series. He doesn't have the same stuff. And because he doesn't have the same stuff, the split is not as devastating. It's good, don't get me wrong, when it's on. But it's not as devastating. But when it's off, what we've seen is uh, he can't get away with that. And we saw that marathon Monday. It was flat. It had no movement. It was just 80 flat. I mean, to the point where if you listen to Eckersley do the color commentary that day on marathon Monday, he goes, what is that pitch? That was just 80. That, that's, that's some soft salad cheese right there. That's a nothing pitch. Uh, you can't be throwing that. So Koji was terrible in that game, but he didn't pitch Tuesday. 
He didn't pitch Wednesday. If you're telling me you're going to even think about using him last night and he, and he, to the point where you warm him up, how can you come out after the game and say we were only going to use him if we had a lead? Like, what does that mean? Because last time I checked, you've been rolling out your elite superstar closer, Craig Kimbrell, in tie ball games. Even in the eighth inning the other day. All week you've been rolling Kimbrell out in tie ball games. Why can't... I, I get it. It wasn't even tied at that point. You're trailing by one. But at that point, what's the difference? The way I look at it is, get me to that bottom of the ninth in a one-run game. You enter the top of the ninth. At that point, you need to use the arms that you have to be able to manage the bullpen to get to the bottom of the ninth and making sure that is a one-run game. Or at least doing everything in your power to make the right decisions to give you the best chance to let that happen. Leaving William Cuevas in for another inning and then going to Noe Ramirez? I mean, come on now. That's that's putting the team in the best chance to win? You basically told us Uihara was available. You, you also, also, how is someone like Robbie Ross, a lefty, not available against these two lefties in this game? I don't get it. Makes no sense to me. I, I said it last night. John Farrell, in that ninth inning, he stood in the dugout with his hands in his pocket and gave up on the game. He's in a tough spot, I understand. But that doesn't mean you stop managing the bullpen to the best of your ability. Farrell's got his hands in his pockets in the dugout hoping that Noe Ramirez comes out of the bullpen wearing a goddamn cape. Like he's Superman, he's not. You got matchups that you should try to utilize. Farrell did a terrible job. Even the other night, when Porcello's on the mound, I tweeted this out. Seventh inning. Porcello got out of the jam. But he enters the seventh inning throwing 100 pitches already. I know Porcello's look good. He's pitching with confidence. I told you, he's throwing with conviction. The last couple starts. But guess what? You've still seen some shaky performances from Porcello where they're going to potentially, even on good nights for him, put the ball in the seats on him because he can leave some things up. He's throwing 100 pitches. They should have entered that seventh inning with somebody warming up in the bullpen. They didn't warm someone up in the bullpen until there was a hit. Then there was another hit run scored. Then they get someone warming in the bullpen. Porcello ended up getting out of it, and they lucked out. But I thought it was piss-poor bullpen management. Tazawa needs to be in that bullpen before before Porcello even comes back out for the mound. You better have that guy ready so that first hit that Porcello lets up, having thrown 100 pitches in the seventh inning of a game in which he pitched very well, you got to have that guy coming into the game, being ready. Got, nobody was even ready. Nobody was even warming up. But they lucked out. He got out of the jam. It's all that combined. It's just, it's been some, there's been some bad bullpen management here the last couple nights. And, and last night, they gave up in the game. They gave up in the game because the bullpen's been overused. Sorry, I can't accept that as, as a, a proper, you know, analysis. You cannot tell me, you can't tell me that one of those lefty-lefty matchups shouldn't have been used, right? You can't tell me that. It should have been used. You should have brought Robbie Ross Jr. in. I don't know why they didn't. Kamaya or Dickinson. Um, it's just, it's frustrating. And now you look at the Red Sox. They're 7-8. and eight. That's their record. 4-6 and six at home. Some bad decisions. Farrell comes into the season on the hot seat anyways with two straight last place finishes. They're paying Tory Lavello the big bucks. 
You got that story that was leaked somehow where he's dating a reporter that's covering the team. I still think uh, no coincidence with that and the cir- circumstances that Farrell finds himself in in this organization with the new guy calling the shots and Dave Dombrowski. I mean, I, this doesn't look good for John Farrell. Ultimately, could David Price have helped him out last night? Of course, and that's the first finger you point. But when you're done pointing that finger and you get a chance to win this game still late against a divisional rival, you don't just stop managing the bullpen because you overused it. But that's exactly what John Farrell did as he stood in the dugout with his hands in his pockets. Let's hope that William Cuevas can save our ass. Let's hope that Noe Ramirez can be Superman. (laughs) Uh, Terrible strategy. And it's one that fires me up. And it's one that makes me think, of course, I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of people have. It makes me think John Farrell's days are numbered. And this is not going to be an easy series against the Houston Astros this weekend in Houston. It's not. I know Houston's having a tough time. Houston's having a tough go of it right now. Uh, in the AL West, they're 5-11 and 11 on the season. Uh, at home, they're only 3-4. and four. On the road, they're 2-7. and seven. They scored 61 runs. They've allowed 80. You look at the Red Sox, they've scored 74 runs. They've allowed 75. Houston's not having a good go of it right now, but it's not going to be an easy series. Uh, Here's the pitching matchups. Steven Wright, the knuckleballer on the mound tonight for the Red Sox. He'll go up against Houston righty Colin McHugh. Uh, McHugh had a tough outing his first start of the season, but since then... He's gone 1-1 one one with a 2.92 ERA uh, through seven scoreless innings against Kansas City on April 11th. So that was a good start for him. McHugh could be good tonight. It's tomorrow, Saturday, Mike Fiers, uh, he's been no good. He has an ERA close to seven. So you'd think if you're the Red Sox, you can maybe jump all over him and help Clay Buckholtz out. Clay Buckholtz will be on the mound on Saturday. So I'll keep an eye on that series. Obviously, I'm on WEI over the weekend, and we'll get to some of that. But as you look at this Red Sox team right now, yes, the rotation is they're not doing their job. And the guy who's making 30 mil a year needs to start doing his job because that what you saw yesterday was unacceptable. And they've put the manager in a tough spot, but that doesn't mean the manager ha- that doesn't mean the manager stops managing. And I think that's what Farrell did last night. And if, it, if he continues to stop managing, then he's going to be gone pretty soon going to be out the door and Tori Lovello is going to be the new manager of the Boston Red Sox so that's what we got right now what else this weekend uh, before I get to my picks oh one one other thing before I get to the picks there's a fight this weekend I know I've been talking about UFC the last couple days with the Conor McGregor stuff uh, but it's not UFC it's in the world of boxing in the middleweight division Gennady Golovkin Just an absolute beast. He's going to fight Dominic Wade Saturday night on HBO. This is just basically a tune-up for Gennady Golovkin as we will wait and see what the next fight will be. Because Golovkin, I mean, he's expected to knock Wade out. What what does Golovkin have? 21 straight knockouts, 21 consecutive knockouts. Nobody's beating him. I I think pound for pound the best boxer in the world. And I think you put someone like... Kovalev right behind him, light heavyweight champ Kovalev. But Golovkin's an absolute beast. He's not getting any younger. And I think that's why you see someone like Canelo Alvarez maybe hesitating to fight him. Canelo Alvarez is the lineal champ. 
in the middleweight division. Alvarez, he is fighting Amir Khan on May 7th. That is on pay-per-view. That's Kentucky Derby Day. Uh, that's, so that's going to be a huge night. And as I told you in yesterday's podcast, the, the fundraiser for Mark Delamere is that day at Amrines in South Boston. So make sure you go back and listen to that to get details on that because that is a great event for a great cause. Uh, but that's a big day as well because you got the Derby and then you got, you know, playoff stuff and, and you got a big fight that night. Canelo Alvarez versus Amir Khan. I'm expecting Canelo to win that. I don't think that's going to be the easiest fight for, for Canelo. But the fight we want to see is Golovkin. Canelo. Triple G versus Canelo Alvarez. That's the fight we want to see. Unify the middleweight titles. And if Canelo beats Amir Khan, and we know Golovkin this Saturday night is going to knock out Dominic Wade, right? It's, he's going to knock out Wade. It's just not even, I don't even think it's up for debate. But Golovkin, they're going to ask him after. He's going to be in the ring. And please, if you've never watched Golovkin fight, will you watch him? And don't just watch him. Listen to him after. Right? Watch Max Kellerman interview him in the ring after. Because Golovkin seems like literally the nicest dude of all time. From Kazakhstan, he's just, I mean, he's just the nicest person ever. But he will knock you out in two seconds. He's an animal in that ring. And, and I think he's the best pound-for-pound pound guy in the world. But we want to see him fight the best. And if Canelo beats Amir Khan on May 7th, well, Golovkin is the mandatory challenger for the lineal championship. And guess what? If Canelo doesn't fight him, now you got to go through Golden Boy and you're going to have to figure out the weight. And I think the one thing that might hold that fight up, if it is held up, is going to be that Canelo, you know, they're going to want Golovkin to come down, which I don't understand because middleweight limit is what? 160, right? It's 160. What's Canelo fight? 154, 155? They want him to come, they want Golovkin to come down to that. At the end of the day, Golovkin maybe won't have a problem doing so, but he shouldn't have to. Like, Canelo should have to go up to what it is, the 160, if they're going to unify the middleweight titles. But that's the fight we want to see. Will it happen? I don't know. You'd li- I'll be rooting for Canelo to beat Amir Khan. Because I want Canelo to get that win, Golovkin to get this win Saturday night, and then I want him to fight. I hope they do, because Golovkin deserves the shot. I think, you know, some of these fighters are looking at Golovkin, I think, thinking, well, if we keep waiting, you know, the, the longer we wait, the older Golovkin gets, and maybe the better chance, the older he is, we will have of beating him. I, I mean, you're going to, I think Canelo will have to wait five years if he, if he wants to be realistic about the age being an issue. But uh, he, he could get stripped of the lineal title, right? And he'll have to go to Golovkin. I mean, mandatory challenger. I, I just hope we see that fight. Golovkin-Canelo. That would be a phenomenal fight. And it, it might be the best fight we've seen in a long time. The other one I want to see is Kovalev versus Stevenson in the light heavyweight. Not unify those belts. And I believe Kovalev is the mandatory challenger for Stevenson. Because Stevenson's the lineal champ. It's funny, but light heavyweight and middleweight, the best fighters are not the lineal champs. And yet the guys who are won't fight them because they know they're going to get they get beat. Or at least it, it will be the toughest fight they've ever had. And, and I do think there's, there's a, they're waiting. They don't want that fight. There's a reason why you haven't seen it. 
Hopefully, Canelo, it sounds like some things I hear him say and hear him hear his side say, hear his potty say, is that they do want that they will get that fight with Golovkin. Maybe even next. You know? If Canelo beats Khan, which I, I think he will. But that's the one we want to see. Will there be a weight dispute? Possibly. But I hope they can figure it out and get the fight. Golovkin, Canelo. That's the one we want to see. But Golovkin will fight Saturday night. He should knock out Dominic Wade. In the first five rounds, I would expect him to do that. And I read a couple quotes from Golovkin. As nice of a guy he is, he's very honest. right? He's, he's, he's done a decent job learning the English language. It makes it humorous when he tries to speak it. But, you know, I, I saw him say a couple things with regards to the kid he's fighting, Dominic Wade, Saturday night on HBO. And he says, well, I know I haven't watched any video footage of him. He seems like a generic fighter. You know, he, he's got a right. That's it. I'm okay. He's not watching video of Wade. He just, Golovkin has a lot of confidence in his own fighting abilities, and he thinks Wade should be the one watching video on him. Golovkin doesn't seem concerned. I'm not concerned. Golovkin should knock him out. Try to, try to get to this fight. Try to get to the TV to watch this fight. And don't, don't just watch Golovkin. Watch him talk after. It's, I, I think it's entertaining. He, said, I mean, he is a nice dude, and he's funny, too, because of his accent and trying to learn English. And I think Max Kellerman, I lo- those are the interviews I love. Kellerman's going to ask the questions. He's going to ask the questions. What, what, and, and Golovkin's going to tell you what, what you want to hear, which is what he actually believes. He wants that fight with Canelo. But Golovkin should win this one pretty easy Saturday night. So let's wrap up the show. Let's wrap up the week with my picks uh, picks, picks. Every single Friday, I give you five games with the spread. Last week was a little different. I gave my NBA playoff predictions on Thursday and my Stanley Cup playoff predictions on Wednesday. That was last week, right? I did all that. Uh, so here's some picks for you. NBA playoffs edition. Hit the music. I'm going to begin with two games. See, I'm going all weekend, not just tonight. I'm going with some NBA playoff games all weekend. First and foremost, I'm going with the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight as a four and a half point favorite over the Pistons in Detroit. It's game three. The Cavs have a two games to none series lead. I already told you about how LeBron James is going to put up 40 and he's going to do it even if Stanley Johnson is covering him tonight because he sees the quotes and he hears the words coming out of Stanley Johnson's mouth. And to be quite honest, as much as I do like Stanley Johnson's game, especially defensively, he doesn't have the resume to be able to talk shit about LeBron James, especially in the playoffs. So uh, he might want to settle down, and LeBron James will respond tonight with a 40-point game, and the Cavaliers are going to roll over the Pistons and take a commanding 3-0 series lead. The Cavs are a 4.5-point favorite. I will take them to win by at least 5 so I'm going with Cleveland. Then, oh yeah, another game tonight. Think you know where I'm going with this one. The Celtics, they are a three-point favorite at home over the Atlanta Hawks. The Celtics have looked terrible, especially early on in game. Seven points in the first quarter of game two. The first half, their shooting percentage was as bad as you could get. It actually got worse in game two than it did in game one. Uh, the scary part is, I feel like Atlanta hasn't played their best basketball. Like, I feel like Atlanta, they have they have a better game in them. Is it going to come tonight at the TD Garden? I don't know. Here's what I'll say. 
This atmosphere at the Garden is going to be a whole lot different than the atmosphere in Atlanta, and I expect the Celtics to have a better start, and I expect them to stick with their strength, which is driving to the hoop. They're a three-point favorite. The place is going to be rocking. Now, I would prefer the Celtics to be an underdog because I would love to see them go into this game with that underdog mentality of prove people wrong. The world is against us. I think that would suit them very well. They're not. They're a three-point favorite because this thing is at the TD Garden. And to be quite honest, I don't know how Atlanta is going to handle this crowd tonight. But I will say this. It can't get any worse for the Celtics, right? So the Celtics... They win tonight. I'm not telling you they win the series, but I think they win tonight. And I think this could be a game in which Atlanta has to, it's a close game. They're following the Celtics early, and they just they just get another point or two to cover that three-point spread and beat the Hawks by four or five. Celtics minus three. I'm going with the Seas. And then tomorrow, I got two games tomorrow. Uh, the first game I'm going to take tomorrow is the Indiana Pacers. They are a one-and-a-half-point dog over the Raptors in Indy. Toronto lost game one uh, at home to the Pacers, and they went on to win the last two. Toronto is a two-game-to-one series lead, uh, but this is game four. It's staying in Indy. Paul George, he was, what, one for eight from the three-point line in the last game. That's going to improve. I think Paul George goes off tomorrow. The Pacers win it and even up that series. I'm not... I'm not that scared of Toronto to the point where I think they're going to roll through the rest of the series just because they won two straight and they won the last one in Indy. I think Paul George sort of takes the team on his back in game four. He, he's going to shoot better from the three-point line than he did in the last one. Only one for eight in the last game. That's going to improve. I'm going to go with the Pacers to win this game, and they're an underdog, so I'll take the Pacers at plus one and a half. Then... I'm going to go with the Dallas Mavericks tomorrow. They're a 10-point dog. This game is in Dallas. The Thunder just scored 131 points in Dallas last night. Thunder have a two-games-to-one series lead. I'm not telling you the Mavericks are going to win this game, folks. I'm telling you they're going to cover the 10 points. Oklahoma City's going to win. Oklahoma City is going to take a 3-to-1 series lead but it's going to be a whole lot closer than it was last night. So I kind of love the double-digit dog that's a home team in this one, knowing they just got blown out. I'm going to take Dallas plus 10. I think Dallas loses this series. I don't know they go down as quietly as maybe it looked like they would last night getting whooped at home against OKC. Dallas has some fight left in them. They got enough talent uh, to cover this 10-point spread in a bounce-back game. They won't win tonight. Excuse me, they won't win tomorrow night, but they will cover the 10 points. The Mavericks, plus 10 over OKC. And then finally, my fifth and final pick for Picks Picks this weekend. Golden State is a seven-point favorite right now. That's going to change. It's going to change because Steph Curry, I think, is going to play in the next game. He hasn't played in the last two. I think he's going to play in the next game. And if that happens, well, that spread could probably shoot up to 12. Do I think Steph, I mean, maybe 11, 10, who knows? It's going to shoot up more than seven, I think, if he plays. And I'm betting here that he's going to play. And that's why I'm sort of, this is a strategic pick here on a Friday morning, early afternoon. Seven-point favorite of the Warriors. I think Steph's going to play. And you saw Houston, they didn't even want to win. Houston didn't even want to win. 
that game last night when James Harden hit that shot and they didn't want to celebrate because they didn't want a game five to have to travel to Golden State. Warriors win this series, obviously. They take the next one in Houston. That's on Sunday. Right now, they're a seven-point favorite. This is a strategic pick, thinking that Steph Curry's going to play, and I'll get some pretty good value for that seven-point spread. I'm going with the Warriors, minus seven. So those are my picks. The Cavaliers, minus four and a half. The Celtics, minus three. The Pacers, plus one and a half. The Mavericks, plus ten. And the Warriors, minus seven. I am here five days a week. You can subscribe and listen whenever you want. DannyPicard.com, also available on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on social media, on Twitter, at DannyPicard, Facebook, Facebook.com, slash The Danny Picard Show, and also on Instagram, at DannyPicard. I'm on WEEI all weekend long, tomorrow and Sunday, and then back here in the Beantown Athletic Studio on Monday morning. I'm out. Talk to you soon. <laughs>